0: And welcome to episode 8 of the Nicely Done Podcast.
1: I'm Satya and I'm a writer based in Boston. Hi everyone, I'm Amrita and I'm a journalist uh, working in Boston.
0: A special welcome to our friends in the medical fraternity. In a world where we are all languishing, you are heroes for continuing the good fight against COVID-19. Welcome, welcome. Let's start and dive right in. What's been on your mind for the last two weeks?
1: So this has actually been uh, pretty great last week in terms of professional news. Um, Finally, after about five months of break, I'm ready to get back to work. Uh, If any of you have heard our previous episode where we talk about immigration, I think the episode came like it was so heartfelt because I was actually going through the immigration system in the US. And finally, uh, I am now approved for work in the United States. So it's actually been pretty exciting. Um, and I now have the opportunity to work with one of my favorite news teams and I will be joining Brute America as a media manager starting as soon as like tomorrow. So I am like very excited. Um, and this has just been like a very, the end of a very long journey. Okay.
0: Congratulations. And
1: yeah, that's great news. Yeah. It's been a huge relief and, uh, I finally feel like this incredible weight is off my shoulder Mm -hmm. and uh, it's been really uh, exciting professionally but honestly I'm not able to kind of like process it completely because there is something else that is uh, very heavy on my mind, your mind and I'm sure like uh, millions of others. So this week actually as two people of Indian origin it is impossible to talk about anything else but the devastating second wave of COVID-19 in India. So this episode will be based on documenting our experience of being far away from our homeland and watching with the world as it struggles for resources to survive. Now, if you're a listener in India, we understand that you're dealing with this crisis more directly, but in this episode, we just wanted to record our helplessness and our experiences from very far away. Right. So to kind of uh, begin this episode, we wanted to start with a quick overview of how India fared in its first wave uh, versus its second wave. Uh, after the first few cases began to be recorded in India and around the world in 2020, on March 24th, Indian Prime Minister Narendra Modi imposed one of the strictest lockdowns of the world in India. And, you know, at the time it appeared to have worked. As other parts of the world were experiencing high rate of infection, India seemed to have escaped the worst. After a gradual unlocking of its states, India began returning to its new normal and uh, began vaccinating its older population in January 2021. The efforts were led by Serum Institute of India, which is actually the world's largest manufacturer of vaccines. So far, 26 million people have been fully vaccinated out of 1.4 billion, which is roughly 1.86%, not a very high number, about 8.86% have been given one shot of the vaccine. In February 2021, the numbers began to rise. On February 1, 2021, India recorded roughly 8,600 cases. Just one month later, in March, the numbers began to climb and were roughly 12,000 in the beginning of the month. Then suddenly India's new cases showed a steep rise to over 100,000 in the first week of April. Today, as we are recording this episode on May the 1st, the new cases in India have reached an all-time terrifying high of 400,000. So it's important to also mention that these are reported cases and with a lack of enough testing equipment, the numbers on the ground are estimated to be probably higher. Um, unfortunately, these numbers are a direct impact of a large number of Simultaneous failures and mismanagement such as not vaccinating people fast enough, a shortage of vaccine supply, improper distribution of healthcare resources and also a mixed messaging by the leaders of state of not curbing large social, religious or even political gatherings. So,
0: Honestly, I think why is it so bad this time around is a question we are all asking, even people who are in India wondering what has changed, you know, like... uh what has changed so drastically that it's gotten so bad so fast people sitting far away from home like you and me who are just consuming news are definitely thinking why is it so bad Uh, a year and a couple of months almost after we are into the pandemic I suppose Um, so like you said there are multiple factors there are are like sporting events that where about 60,000 spectators were like allowed to come and watch in person like some of the india versus england matches in india there's Kumbh Mela, which is one of the if not the biggest um religious gathering in the world where millions of people are getting together and kind of i mean looking at the pictures there's no mask in sight uh in haridwar in a in northern india and there are like mass election rallies which are almost super spreader events and uh And honestly, I think it's a, I've read a lot of news stories and it feels like it's a case of complacency, you know, a lot of anecdotal evidence gets passed around with a lot of authority in India and in Indian, like, family setups, you get these WhatsApp forwards and stuff. I remember so many people telling me, Oh, in India, we have herd immunity from nowhere, it's come and everyone sort of started believing it like, Oh, our immunity is much higher. And this is completely unfounded, it's not supported by any science, but we start believing it because we didn't have that many cases or at least reported cases first time around. right? So I think it was a sense of complacency that had set in into the Indian society. We can't blame one person for this, to blame uh, one single person for the complete uh, breakdown systemic of breakdown systems, yeah. it, it's too easy yeah it's uh, it's not like one person can do that right but i think when top down messaging kind of affects how we also deal with a certain event right like yeah. if i have heard the health minister say in like some videos that we were um, researching he said we are in the end game now yeah and like prime minister is saying oh so many people together in the same place this is more people than i've seen together great job yeah. Kind of sends the message that yeah, you should all be getting together, yeah, uh, and being like you know outside. Yeah, and I think what people are trying to do when they point to the government mismanagement is not to absolve ourselves of any responsibility or like you know accountability. We are still very much responsible for wearing masks, not like meeting people and all of that. But I think there is accountability for when you pick someone to like lead you out of a crisis right so yeah i think uh, also this th- the new variant that's been um, discovered in india in october 2020 it's called the b1617 it's a uh, it's being called the double mu- mutant or uh, uh, also because it has two mutations but i have read reports that said it has more than two mutations it's uh, it's another reason why people are seeing more infections this time around but the uk variant b117 which is the dominant strain in the uk and now in the us uh, is also being um, found in large numbers in india so there is not enough evidence or there is not conclusive evidence to say that the new variant is the reason why but we don't have enough data right now to say it is or it is not because people are still Uh, the medical fraternity and like researchers are still trying to figure out if it is the reason why but they are observing new patterns of stronger uh, infections in younger people like even two month old babies are being infected now which we didn't see the first time around Uh, so in a world where there is like so much happening there is so much uh, news and speculation and conjecture and anecdotal evidence and people telling you 10 different things I think there should be more accountability for like the official systems to kind of put a a sensible messaging out which is what we I think find lacking right now
1: yeah that's a great point I think one of the main things that kind of uh, helps people handle such a situation better is good communication and messaging yeah over the last few weeks as we are trying to absorb as much news as is coming from india one thing has been clear that kind of people are feeling even in india people are feeling a complete uh, uh, helplessness as to what to do yeah. and it seems that there is a feeling of we are on our own yeah. and that's that's been that's coming across when you see these multiple uh, calls of SOS on all of our social media, and it it's kind of people tagging people, um, and it feels like the the resources that are lacking in the healthcare system. Uh, it feels like there are just everyday common people asking for help, uh, not of any government authority or center, but they're just sending out this like big SOS in the in the country, and like just regular citizens are responding. So I think there is like a definite um, mismanagement of communication. And this reminds me of how it was in the first wave, as we are talking about why the second wave is so much worse. Do you remember when the first wave, I I was in India actually, and I remember when everything broke out for the first time, all over the world, everyone was just wondering what this is. And there was limited information. So at that time, we were just following the guidelines of whatever um, you know, health organizations were telling us, yeah. um, uh, you had to wear masks, then social distancing came into place, then we started washing hands. Uh, and all of this was messaging that was conveyed around the world. With the double mutation with the such a sharp increase in the number of cases, I feel like there is a very fast and urgent need to start communicating um the ways to kind of curb this situation in India yeah, and uh, I feel like it's there is something definitely lacking in that.
0: Yeah and I think most people who are following the situation in India would probably uh, uh, know what I'm talking about but I saw a lot of these uh, uh, social media posts and subsequently news stories, news stories about how the BJP government or the p- government that's in power has put out um, full page front page ads across all all newspapers that they could I think I saw at least 10, 12 newspapers yeah, yeah. full front page ad where they're saying beautiful, clean, safe kumela. Yeah, yeah. So is there a responsibility for saying safe? Yeah. yeah. Like no one can what is the liability? Can yeah. you sue the government for saying it's safe while yeah, it's not? Yeah. There is no one knows the answers to this and I don't think anyone will actually Nobody like you and me will go and like sue the government because we know what's the what's the point. But anyway, the point is, like, where is your responsibility in communicating what the consequences of anything are? Yeah. And is it the regular person's responsibility to see it, think about their agenda, pros and cons, and question their own government? Yeah. Is it there? If someone turns around and says you should have known better than to go for kumela, like yeah, maybe that is maybe true. That maybe
1: individually we should know better, but isn't an elected leader yeah. just as if not more accountable for the actions of yeah his for his saying that on the yeah. front
0: page of a paper that yeah. it's a beautiful, clean, safe kumela twenty twenty one? Yeah, it's anything
1: but. It's anything but. And you know, it's like I mean, as you you guys can tell probably that this is just us kind of asking more questions with the news and the information that we have. Um, But more importantly, since we're both away from home at this extremely crucial time, uh, we find ourselves constantly overwhelmed with our emotions. Mm -hmm. Um, So as reporters, writers, we wanted to find a way to chronicle this uh, experience and uh, add value to others who are also feeling like this. So this, this episode is going to be dedicated to the community in India and the community away from India. Yeah. So just to begin, like, so Satya, ha, like the news is coming every day, every minute. And uh, now not only the Indian media, but the international media has picked up on it. There is a lot of communication between the different countries and with India. Like, you know, the um, American government is pledging support, um, people from Leaders and people from all over the world are also speaking up in solidarity and pointing towards funds. So this is all happening around us. But as two people who are, you know, whose families are at home and, you know, in India, India, and both of us are kind of dealing with just being away every day, um, just trying to understand. So how are you dealing with it on a day to day basis?
0: I feel like there's a cycle, right? There is, you. I wake up in the morning. First thing I do is obviously go on my phone, go on Twitter, see how it's going in India. Uh, Maybe check for messages from home. How is it going? And honestly, reading news. Okay, I don't subscribe to the ideology that if news is not great, you should stop reading it. Yeah. Maybe because I'm a journalist, and or I was a journalist, or I never felt like that was an option. Yeah. Um. I mean, for those who are able to do that, and if that works for your mental health, do what you need to do. But I rather know. So, like, read the, at least scan the headlines quickly to see what's happening. And that kind of, like, already you wake up and, like, there's a pit of worry in your stomach, fear. And honestly, some of these headlines are, like, India is dying, death in India, funeral pyres are burning. Like, the language, the images is, just hits you so hard. And then you just somehow get through your regular day, make your coffee, eat your food, go to work, do whatever you need to do. And then I feel like my entire day kind of that fear builds to that evening point where I do my check-in call with my parents when they wake up in the morning for them. And during the course of this day, this fear slowly morphs into guilt when for some couple of hours I'll forget about what's happening and I, I make my own plans. I'm like living my life here. And that guilt kind of is somehow even worse than the fear and after that when you check in with your parents and i i see that okay touch wood they're doing okay they're fine and then you tell them 5000 different things of like i've gone to the extent of telling my parents to double mask at home it's true they humor me they say yes of course yeah we are doing this we are doing that they, they reassure me and then i do feel a little better there is relief after that conversation that okay fine they're doing everything they know how worried i am now i can relax and then you hang up and then you i go out I, I mean i go about my day and then after that relief again i go to bed i wake up fear guilt relief repeat yeah it's just relentless i don't know how we are going to get through it that helplessness of watching it from afar i think is like by far the worst
1: i know i understand i think that for the last uh, week and a half two weeks uh, both of us have been like you know that phone call with our parents yeah. in the morning just checking and like everyone okay everyone fine yeah. uh, checking in in the evening okay now they're up everyone okay everyone fine yeah. uh, my sister stays here so she and I are constantly checking with each other sometimes someone hears of a relative back home in India and then quickly like through the grapevine everyone finds out I think another thing to note is that uh, being so far away you feel like you said tremendous like sense of helplessness Um, so a few members in my family um, uh, in different households they have been dealing with this situation of maybe one person or two people who tested positive and it just feels like for the rest of the people in the house now you know you have to manage some kind of logistics you have to move some people around you have to then take care of them and while everyone in India is doing that all you can and are really doing is texting and calling them yeah it feels like you're the most useless person in the family it feels like you can't offer anything other than I think I've told my uh, some of my family members who are like dealing with some things all I say at the end is just like oh hang in there I think like I hope take it one day at a time yeah these things that like are now part of our vocabulary that a year ago we thought the worst was behind us and Mm -hmm. I think like you said, the calls are just, that's the point in the day where your emotions are at at the peak. And we're, so it, we're all feeling this, you know, at all times there is fear, helplessness, guilt, relief, some hope at some part in the day when, you know, you read a report that says that, okay, more oxygen cylinders coming into yeah. the capital yeah. or vaccine support coming in from the US and you feel like, okay, maybe more people will be vaccinated, but it's just been this huge ride of um, emotions and I think that you know we're talking about communication it's so interesting that like communication at a national level is so important and pertinent and here we are also kind of like managing this like communication between families and like just between friends and checking up on each other I sent out a message to all of my friends in India just saying hi are you okay just checking in and I don't know if we're, like you like you said earlier, I don't know if we're equipped to deal with even their answers, you yeah. know, because there's, what are you going to say? Yeah,
0: so true.
1: Yeah, and it's like, uh, mm-hmm. while that is happening in India, uh, like you said, we are getting vac- fully vaccinated soon. Um, I'm starting this new job. And like these things are happening in my life that I uh, really am waiting for. And there is somehow no way that I am able to express any of this kind of pride and joy and like happiness. And it's not because I don't feel it. Uh, I feel it somewhere. Um, but it's just completely overtaken by this other emotion. And I think that no, I'm and I don't think I'm the only one that's feeling this.
0: Yeah, I I think so. Uh, you're right. You know, like I... I got my vaccine shot and then like i'm making plans i'm making travel plans and then i'm on instagram all i see is looking for oxygen looking for bed looking for uh, like this medicine and it just feels like and most indians would be uh, familiar with this uh, message that i think went pretty viral of the split reality in which here i'm i was i think in the span of half an hour i asked you what your memorial day plans were and i asked you uh, and we talked about like someone in your family getting COVID yeah, uh, and like, you know, and like how bad it is in India. So, and then you feel guilt for being like, oh, I'm having fun here. Like, yeah. you know, like I should not be, you not having fun won't make it any better in India. But mm. you know, I think guilt is a big part of being uh, being in the diaspora and I think it's always been mm. people feeling guilt when your homeland is like kind of suffering is a very is a recurring na- narrative but uh i think we are experiencing it in a heightened way in the probably the most heightened way possible because of social media and like kind of everyone being vigilant at the same time and it being a global pandemic
1: yeah right yeah
0: and honestly those insta instagram stories of like I'm looking for this, I'm looking for that, amplifying those messages, just seeing that, yes, I feel very proud of all my friends for doing like, you know, verification of leads and uh, raising money, donations, amplifying all those resources. I feel super proud of all my friends for doing it. Uh, But when I see it on my day to day and see that US is not struggling in the same way and it's fine that this is my reality, US struggled in 2020, it kind of does really split my world into
1: like two parts yeah i don't think a lot of us are even like we were talking about equipped to deal with it like i think uh first and foremost of course at the top of people who are not equipped to deal with it are healthcare workers and what they're going through uh but i think just as you start going down the you know chain of command you kind of start realizing that at every stage there is um like a level of people that are not prepared for things. I don't know how once we come out of this whole crisis, um, there's going to be so much work that needs to be done within communities, between families, for self. um, And it's just really feeling like an avalanche of emotions. And I think this is just for you and me, at least, because we have a podcast and because we have a space where we can kind of like record our experiences. I think it's important to note that like the Indian diaspora is feeling pretty, pretty helpless. And if and I think for the Indian diaspora, I think it's important to note that all of us are feeling like this for uh, our non-Indian friends who have been reaching out. um, We feel grateful that we have supportive friends and like people who are worried about us. But uh, it's kind of like maybe just right now we need to remember that we're all in this together in a way. Um, It was kind of hard for us to find the words to put this together because what do we really know? What does anyone really know? But I guess there is a merit in finding a way to reaching out to your loved ones. If they need your help and support, being present and ready for them, uh, being ready for whatever support they need and finding ways to be useful to your family and your community by donating or volunteering um, and also reading and sharing the right information. I think that's all we can do and I think that's all um, we're doing right now.
0: Welcome back! This is episode 8 of the Nicely Done podcast, and we are talking about the COVID 19 pandemic and the second wave in India. So, I actually wanted to know what you felt about this. When I think about the first wave, some of the most visceral images that stayed with me are the migrant laborers walking back in India, migrant laborers, sorry, uh, walking back in India, walking to their hometowns. Uh, days and days on end, and you know those packed bus stops and bus stations where people were and the masks were a joke yeah and uh, they were just like completely not prepared for that right because like you mentioned earlier on, the lockdown was just overnight just put in place and it's one it was one of the strictest lockdowns but when I think about the second wave, honestly, I can just think of mass cremation fires yeah that's all that Those are the images that are just forefront in my uh, memory right now. And what else, what else comes to mind for you?
1: Yeah, I know the coverage of like the pandemic itself has been such a, I mean, that's all that news has covered for a year, year and a half, right? Not to to say that it's all, but it's it's the biggest news coming out of any country is the way that they're handling uh, their COVID crisis. I think in India, you're right, the, you know, the migrant people walking home was one of the biggest images that sticks from that point. But that is also like, that was also like a kind of like, look at these helpless people on the streets and like from a, from a outsider's perspective, right. Um, Even now when you're looking at the images that are front page of some of the biggest newspapers in the world, not just, not just in our own country. You kind of feel like how India's like dead and dying are being exposed center stage. I don't know. We were talking about this earlier. It kind of makes us feel uncomfortable in a way that, of course, the issue of mismanagement and mishandling and inaction needs to be at the center of the stage. But I think it makes us feel a little uncomfortable to have, you know, the fate of the people displayed in such a way it's it kind of uh, India falls prey to this kind of like voyeuristic journalism yeah uh, sometimes and uh, it kind of like leads to this narrative of how the rest of the world views India and you know that's just thrown open this very interesting thing about how not only how you and I consume our news but like how the rest of the world is looking at the crisis unfolding in India at a time when their own countries are doing fine. Yeah. So it feels like the gaze is very strict and harsh yeah. right now on the country, you know? Yeah.
0: No, I totally understand what you mean. And I want to, I just want to make sure that our listeners know this. We don't know the answer to the question we are posing right now. I don't know if there's a better way of covering the news. If this is bringing attention to something that needs to be brought, I think what we are saying is, let's say, uh, there, you said 400,000 cases reported uh, in India today. I think at, at its worst in US, there were 300,000 cases a day. Like the images that you can recall are not in any way as alarming as what we see right now in India. Maybe it's lack of resources that has pushed our, uh, has pushed Indian uh, um Indian Medical Fraternity to these absolute end of the rope measures in which people are just sharing one hospital bed and like people just lying you know in the foyers of the hospital breathing from like a mask and oxygen oxygen tanks being police escort getting police escorts all of these images kind of maybe they are bringing the reality to focus maybe it's helping in some way if it is go for it that is not what we are saying here we are saying that somehow there is a voyeuristic reportage of news in the sense of like going into cremation grounds and like a relative looking at a funeral pyre there's a shot of that
1: yeah yeah yeah.
0: of a daughter watching her one of her parents uh you know cremation and i am just like it's so painful to see that and
1: is 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 there an answer there's a reason to that pain i think it's also to the point when you know someone is in a very someone is having a very private goodbye or farewell yeah it becomes kind of like with uh but mostly uh, in most cases without their permission they become like the you know the, the face of the yeah. uh, situation at hand at any time that i remember sometimes in india when there is like um In the case of deadly riots as well, this happens a lot uh, where the face of people who are in the riots, uh, who are in the middle of violence, they kind of become the face of the riot. And it feels like in this case, at least, uh, we are really starting to feel like while really responsible journalism is the need of the hour to pull up governments and centers for their inaction in policy and like their gaps in like healthcare resources while that is important it just feels it's deeply deeply disturbing to see images of the mass victims of this tragedy being at such display to the world yeah and you know there is something to be said about how like victims and their families at this time maybe should be left alone god knows they're dealing with enough as it is Um, And, you know, I was reading this uh, tweet by one of my former bosses. She was kind of saying something that was so interesting. She said that, you know, when there is a family that is going through a tragedy, sometimes reporters go and like we sometimes we need to cover the tragedy and you call them up and you say that you want to talk to us. And uh, they might say yes and they might say no. But maybe as a reporter, it's time to think about if you really do need that interview right now. Yeah to address the same situation because this is unprecedented loss and no one really knows what people are going through right now
0: yeah I mean I think uh, I remember there was this uh, young woman who was speaking directly to the cameras pulling up the government saying that you know I I spent a whole night begging people to find a bed for my parent so that they can find oxygen and she was making her case to the government that what are you doing you're doing election rallies in bengal like here in delhi i was not able to find a hospital bed for my father we're not talking about those kind of accounts we i think there is a point that i think it's a wake-up call and unless you make it human how does any tragedy reach you if you're not personally affected by it i i understand that But just these images of, I think, these mass cremation grounds that are just everywhere on every headline, I think it's just, it's overwhelming to just keep seeing
1: that. And, um, yeah. I think there's another, uh, uh, while listening to reports, I mean, I was listening to some uh, podcasts cover this uh, important issue and it's really creditable that a lot of, global news organizations are dedicating whole episodes uh, directing their resources towards the coverage in India and I think that gives gives us a very big platform. For instance, once uh, the Indian government does call uh, the American president, there is already a foundation of the news having reached American households. So there is like some pull there. So I think that's uh, super important, but you're right, you know, even on those. <clears throat> Even on those audio clips um, whenever like a clip is pulled to say that the reporters talking about so I spoke to a lady and these were the, these were her thoughts this is how she was talking to the doctor it's cries of pain it's like wailing people wailing in the background yeah, just people eating. being yeah just it, it it all seems too private and too you know it's it kind of seems very inappropriate for them to be bearing the responsibility of being these faces of tragedy. When, yeah, and I think a lot of people in India are probably feeling this too, that, you know, the accountability is not going anywhere. Everything, the burden and the weight of every single thing is just on the heads of the people going through the situation. So it's just, this is, I guess, this is how it feels like when the system crumbles. Yeah, you know, I suppose everything falls on the heads of the people yeah. on the ground. Yeah. So with all of this on our minds every day, and uh, with people in India dealing with this every day, uh, what is our? What do you look at for hope? How are you looking at the next month, the next two months? What is bringing us a little bit of hope at this time?
0: I wish I had a great answer to this but I don't know I feel like I have hope from seeing vaccinations I it is one answer and it's an answer that works yeah and India is one of the biggest producers of vaccine but only about 11% of our population uh including first dose right um and there are 950 million adults in India yeah so it's it's always it's. It was always going to be a huge task to get even 50% of that country of our country, vaccinated, and we have not had the greatest of starts. Yeah. But I do have hope that we manage to bring a vac- vaccine together in record time. I do have hope that you know. Once we realize on an individual and at a societal level of how important it is, the drive will. Really start in full swing and you know more more adults will get vaccinated Um, so I think science is a great hope for me and uh, I think if you follow all protocols and uh, heed all the good advice that's being given to you by the scientists and the uh, and the people who in the know and
1: And I think there's no, I think it's so important for India, if we're going through this right now, to then go back to what we were doing maybe right the first time, right? So, and think of it as now, in addition to all of that, there are now vaccines. There is like greater percentage of us being safer than we were. So, yeah, I think that brings me hope. And I don't know, I I feel like uh, when other countries also have been through bad phases and they pass Um, I'm sort of just somehow hope against hope just waiting for the wave to die down for people to then start getting vaccinated stay home stay indoors i think a lot of people in india really needed that you know like there weren't curfews and lockdowns even with like really high numbers yeah. different states are under different kinds of curfews and lockdowns so people are indoors now yeah. Um. maybe the rate of infection will go down and then simultaneously the vaccination efforts will increase so just as it's a combination of four or five things uh that led to this failure i am hoping that there will be like a similar combination of like the good efforts that will rise and for all of us put this behind us once again
0: yeah i also want to say that i have hope from seeing all my uh, friends former colleagues and all the people that i follow on social media who help with amplifying efforts and kind of uh, because when you see a story of someone like oh i'm looking for an oxygen cylinder or like i'm looking for this drug a few hours later you see that issue resolved you know someone found something you feel like okay that hopelessness of where is this message going out is not there you see that someone's hearing
1: you i think uh when people thought that twitter was the worst place to be somehow it became like the place where everyone could go to find help help or support and like if you can make twitter better (laughs) like just think
0: i know it just takes one pandemic is it (laughs) well um For our recommendations this time, we have some advice. If you are looking to help, there are many, 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 many ways to help. You can start at home. You can start by registering your help and people who work in your home for vaccinations. You can help them monetarily. There are some big ticket verified um, uh, organizations that are doing some great work and we are going to link those resources in our show notes. So if you are looking for other places to help, you can go through our list of verified
1: platforms to donate as well. That's right. Um, So that's it for our episode today. If you like this show, please subscribe to our podcast. Um, We are now streaming on all major streaming platforms. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram. Please like uh, and subscribe to our pages. You can also DM us with any feedback, any questions, or you can just say hi. We would love to hear from you. This week's episode was brought to you by the immense respect we feel towards the creators of the vaccine. We owe a huge debt to scientists who have delivered the world a shot of hope at breakneck speed. Go science! Thanks for listening. See you next time. Bye! Bye.